I'm Danielle Houston. I'm the host of this podcast, The Checkup. I am also a locked in consultant, and I've been bringing forth series that introduce you and sometimes reintroduce you to experts that are here within our organization who work directly with clients in very specialized areas. Julie Casper is joining me again today. She joined back. You know, I joke, we live in COVID years that are pretty much like dog years. So it feels like it wasn't that long ago, but maybe it was a year, maybe it was five years ago. I have (laughs) have no context of time, Um, but Julie did join us before to talk about social determinants of health and how one of our internal groups was tackling this issue. She's back today to talk with us about what do we see as these emerging benefits as it comes to well-being. Julie is a well-being consultant and a strategist. She works with our clients to hone in on really personalized approaches and strategies. And Julie, I would love for you to say hello and to talk a little bit about what exactly this well-being consultant role, what are you doing with our clients? Yeah, thanks for having me, Danielle. It's always good to chat with you. Um, so appreciate you having me here. Uh, yeah, I I think it's funny how this role has really evolved over the last um, several years, five, six, even eight years, but then so intensely over the last couple of years um, because everything's moving just at a different speed these days, I think. Um, but really that just means to look at a client and say, what is meaningful for you and your population? And that might be, and that's gonna be based on a lot of things, Um, but it might be based on like analytics and data. So we have our info log, which allows us to look at claims and dig into the layers of a population in terms of their health um, issues or problems. Um, And the other piece is just how does the culture or the organization and what they, from a leadership perspective, want to um, to allow for their employees in terms of what policies, procedures, programs, what kinds of things will they bring in? So I really help um, to try and focus that vision that meets between what you would do from a culture perspective and what the data and analytics are telling us would be good recommendations for that group. Okay. And I, I love that we are able to combine that, that data to really make smart decisions because often I think that a lot of organizations still try to figure it out based on maybe anecdotal information or, you know, by saying, well, we know a lot of people are interested in these things. And, and then we find out when, when we go with that approach there's just not the same outcome and certainly not the same satisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. And that sometimes certain voices or few voices are very loud um, and you think they might represent the full population when um, oftentimes they don't. So it is good to have multiple sources of data to determine what, what might be best. 
Yeah. Well, let's really start, you know, the big question that I've been asking everyone so far as we have rolled into 2022. Uh, let's share some optimism here. What is something that you are really very hopeful for this year? Yeah, it's interesting. I think we all, 2021 kind of threw us all for a loop. We all thought things were going to get so much better. There was so much hope and optimism with respect to COVID specifically. Um, and then towards the end of the year and as 2022 came to existence, I think people kind of felt a little almost like hoodwinked. Um, and I actually thought about this for a while. Um it just like little things, right? Like Betty White died and you're like, not Betty White, <laughs> you know, like these yeah. things that were just like, what's up with 2022. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, um, I've sort of started to examine that a little bit and I, I am hopeful. Um, and I think that I'm, I've come to a place where what I'm really appreciating is that this annoying and terrible thing that has happened um, to all of us globally has started a lot of conversations and has accelerated some of the um, initiatives or philosophies that I feel are very important um, as it relates to well-being. And then that sort of trickles through to what happens um, at the workplace. So for example, for years, we were talking about mental health, mental health is important. Well, now it's this is sort of just put it in your face that this can no longer be ignored. Um, and so people are saying now we, we absolutely have to find some interventions um, for mental health and we have to have the conversation around um, stigma and access and all these things. So as kind of terrible and bumpy as it was to go through and um, complicated, I do feel like there's a lot of good things that have come out the other end. Um, and also really employees having more of a say around what they want um, and it being okay that you're saying, I want these benefits or I want this pay, or I'm not going to settle to be in this job, right? The whole great resignation, whatever you want to call it. I, I just think that it's kind of, we've just sort of been shaken a little bit and some you know, as the pinata expression, some good things have ever really come out. So I am, I am very hopeful um, for this year that we get on a, a really good trajectory. Yeah. I think it's a good exercise to look for the pearls, right? Yeah. In the midst of the shakeups, what are the things that, you know, we can take from this to be opportunities to grow, to change. And, you know, in your words too, in one of these spaces, which is a whole new focus on humanizing the workplace yeah, and, you know, doing that um, if you can create an environment that is different for your people where they appreciate coming and mm-hmm. they enjoy being there, um, I think that's, that's a great pearl from, yeah. from all of this. Absolutely. So let's just, you know, and we, we talked about this as we were preparing, let's just have the conversation, you know, like, I think there are a lot of things that we could get into around what do we think employers should be really working on in 2022? 
Um, what are kind of the trends that we're seeing? And, you know, based on what we can take from the past, what do we think, you know, the short-term future might look like, you know, and a caveat here, like, you know, we make plans as best as we can, and then, you know, they might all change, but, um, Let's talk specifically about mental health, since that was the last piece, too, mm-hmm. of just talking about how much to the forefront this has finally come. What are what are your recommendations in this place? How are you advising clients to implement changes and look at this mental health support? Yeah, and I think it starts with taking taking a look at your own organization and figuring out number one, what your goals are and what your philosophy is around this. Um, And so, because you want things to feel genuine and authentic. Um, And so I think you want to just kind of take a step back and just say anything that we do, it has to really feel like it's in line with who we are and what we do. So I think that's always a good first step um, because the initial um, thought is that you just want to put something in place and, and do it very quickly. But um, I think just stepping back and, and taking a look is, is always a good way to get started. Um, and then really listening to your people to figure out what it is that they need, um, which sounds so obvious, um, but I think sometimes uh, we don't we don't necessarily know what folks want or need. And, and that um, can come, like we said, in a multitude of different ways. So always trying to get a pulse um, on what people want and need. But from a mental health perspective, I do think, and I would equate this to kind of really any change, is that it's probably going to be a million little things. It's not going, there's not just going to be this one pill, shot, whatever. We always want like the, the, the thing that's going to make everything better. And the reality is, is that there isn't going to be one intervention that makes everything better. The other reality is that people, all your population is going to be on in different places as it, as it relates to mental health. Um, what I think is interesting is there's an opportunity to, um, address clinical needs. So whether that's access uh, through your your plan or your carriers um, and making sure that that those are um, as open as they can be or that 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 journey and that navigation is is there. Um, But also the people that maybe aren't utilizing the system for mental health medication or therapy um, there's a really good New York Times article now it's been a while but I think it was Adam Grant that talked about languishing, if you're familiar with that. And it's, I think that's so huge because that's, and and what languishing is for everybody is they've defined um, Corey Keyes as I think the sociologist that coined the term is that there's somewhere around like 50 to 60% of us who are just sort of muddling through our day. So We don't have any sort of clinical diagnosis. We're not depressed. We're not even burned out. Just, it's almost like looking through a foggy mirror. I get up, I get dressed. I take kid to school. I come home, I get on my zoom calls and then I get to the end of the day and I'm just looking for something. I'm either watching TV or I'm scrolling through social. I'm trying to get something that makes me excited. It makes me happy. 
because for the whole day, I've just been on this route of like the same thing. So that's affecting, we know, like I said, about 50 to 60% of the population. So I think if we can address that too, that elephant in the room of how can you really engage your people um, and that may come through social well-being. That may be come through volunteering. That may be coming through different projects, passion projects, getting on different um, committees or what. Just make it a part of those regular check-ins with managers to find out what direct reports, how they're doing, really what they want to be doing and how we can engage them um, and get them more excited about their day, whether you're on Zoom or whether you are back in an office, either way. Um, so I think that was a really long answer. Um, but I hope <laughs> there okay. were some big question. I hope there were some some things in there that are helpful. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, even that commentary and explanation around, you know, where we are in in terms of our mental health kind of comes back to one of the things you're hopeful for, right? Because 2021, maybe if we were going to put a title on what that year was, maybe we would say, man, it was languishing. We came in with expectations. We had this idea that normal was going to return. And, you know, here, here we are, right? It was a huge letdown. Um, And I think people are surviving, right? We're getting through it, but how do we turn that you know, maybe into that feeling of thriving. Yeah. Yeah. So from a term, one of the, one of the things that I have seen um, us work on internally too, is talking about mental health support. And I saw this graph that I thought was really interesting because it moved through this space of, you know, pre-COVID having an employee assistance plan at kind of a core basic level was sort of the check box and it was nice. Mm-hmm. And most employers had one. Um, do you know the graph that I'm, that I'm speaking of? No, I don't, but um, okay. I'm excited to see where this is going. <laughs> well, I thought it was really interesting because it basically, you know, kind of illustrated out what the progression of that has been. And it's been, you know, core EAP to a more expanded EAP to, you know, make it as robust as you can, maybe with a couple of add-ons into this space of being, you know, can you carve it out and add Mm -hmm. something in it, whether it's a a telehealth mental support, um, whether it's telehealth and some other sort of, you know, reimbursement for, you know, medications and, and other, you know, support. But um, I thought it was interesting how that evolution has occurred in the last two years. Um, Would you say that when it comes to carving things out, you know, and looking at how you might select a vendor or even recommend that to a client. Do you have, you know, clients in mind of when you review something where you think, man, this, this would be a really um, good opportunity for this organization to do something like this big step? Yeah, I do think that probably the majority of organizations that can afford to layer that on top. We're talking, and, and I'm guessing that you're, we're sort of talking about the same thing, which is like a talk space or 
um, a ginger or one of the Lira, these companies that they offer an additional sort of network and bank of therapists. Um, and some of it's self-directed stuff. So anyone could utilize it, even if I don't necessarily want to go through therapy, but I want to do some, learn some tips and tools to kind of help me on my day to day that, but also, you know, primarily, um, the therapy, whether it's texting sort of maybe asynchronous or whether it's literal virtual face-to-face, um, face-to-face and virtual Mm -hmm. therapy. Um, that's sort of what I'm thinking is that kind of what you were thinking, like those types of companies? Yes. Okay. So I think really almost any organization, if they can find the money to do this, it's, you won't find a lot where it doesn't provide value because what we know is that the access and the time it takes to get in to see a provider um, is terrible right now for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're in a big city with a ton of providers or whether you're more rural, but this really allows people to, um, so long as they're licensed in that state, to be able to um, reach people. And it just opens up that pot of providers. There's just, um, I think that's a big issue because as we all know, if you're, if you need help and you want to talk and it can take a lot for people to a make the time to even if even if they've decided okay i'm okay doing this right like let's get over the stigma piece i'm okay doing this now i need to take the time to go up on my carrier's website figure out who's in network if they're not in network can i afford it i mean there's so many questions and i'm literally going through a very challenging time and then i finally find maybe one or two providers that are in my area that are accepting new clients like, and they're in your network for right, insurance. Like, this is like assuming all these things yeah. are going right, which we all know that most people are going to stop before this point, but let's assume that all that's going well. And then you call and it's two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. And when you are in trouble, you can't wait that long. Um, so I honestly think that this is appropriate for every group Um. And what's nice is that some of these um, services like Talkspace have now been in contract and talks with some of the bigger carriers. And so I think that was smart. So it's still, I guess, I don't know if you'd call it carved out, but it it feels carved out, right? Because it's like a whole other network of um, providers. But I think it doesn't matter if you have younger population, if you have an aging or even a boomer population, um, maybe the way they want to receive care might be different, but everybody can benefit from this. So I think it's suitable for anyone that can um, make that financial commitment. And, you know, as consumers of healthcare, we have all become a lot more accustomed to doing these things over a video or mm-hmm. over a phone call that I don't think we, well, I, I know we weren't doing it as much three years ago, but I think it would have been a lot harder to persuade people three years ago to, you know, have those kinds of conversations over the video. Absolutely. And yeah. we think about the, the percentage of people that absolutely need to be face-to-face or 
are in real true critical crisis, it's a pretty small percentage of the population. Um, and there's still, you know, opportunities for everyone else to, to take part. So I, I think it's still, it's not perfect. Again, it's, you got to do a million little things, but it's a great piece to the puzzle. Yeah. So one of your points on what should employers really be thinking about in some in supporting employees for 2022 is to consider all areas of well-being not just physical not just emotional can you quickly walk us through what are those other areas that you and your team are focused on yeah I think financial is always going to be there. It's kind of an easy, low-hanging fruit, tangible piece. Um, so I don't want to dive too deep into that. Sure. Where I do think we're going to see more of an impact is social. I think that could be really huge. There's now this big focus on um, staying connected and getting together. Um, and to the extent that it's safe to do in person, I think is preferable. Um, but I think the social well-being, which has often been lost and misunderstood and not well-defined, is going to be the champion moving forward. Because if you think about, say, I want to even do diversity, equity, and um, inclusion initiatives, what is more meaningful and feels more inclusive than getting lots of different people from different areas of your organization together to just have fun, share a meal or volunteer, then you sort of hit that community well-being. I think that's a great opportunity to get people back together, get some feeling connected, make some feeling more engaged. And it fosters inclusion. It really, once you talk to somebody and it doesn't even have to be people who are maybe different ethnic background or different religious background. It could just be, I'm an accountant and you are an artist. We work at the same company and maybe we didn't think we had anything in common. And I have assumptions about you that you are just um, can't keep to a schedule and don't care about, you know, being on time or, or whatever my assumptions are. We all have our assumptions about people and what role they are in. And so sitting down and having lunch together, maybe I learn more about this and, and we learn that we're, we are more similar than we are dissimilar. So even just from like a real basic level, I think um, there's some opportunity there um, for engagement and connectedness. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I have heard so many different organizations who, and I would say these are specifically organizations where they've had an essential workforce. They haven't, you know, sent everyone home to work. Now at this point in time, those same organizations are saying, you know, we think that our people have fared better than some mm-hmm. of the other organizations that we know of where the people have been working from home and more alone and more isolated. Um, and that time together, you know, really we, we can't replicate that over, over a video yeah. call. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, just all of us can see if we are working from home that when you do have days where where it starts to sort of resemble your old days, it's, it's kind of nice. It feels, you know, it's, it's great to have options. Um, but there is no replacement for human, um, in-person connection. Um, 
when possible from time to time, you know, yeah. when, it, when the circumstances are right. Yeah. So I'm just going to go through really quickly and highlight some of these things so we can wrap it together for, for people who are listening. When we're talking about what employers um, should be thinking about to help support employees, we have covered um, considering consider those broad organizational goals first. Make sure it lines up with your philosophy as an organization. Think about all the areas of well-being, not just physical or emotional. Um, don't think about it as the one big pill. A million little things, I think, is, is how Julie phrased that. It's going to take a lot of different small things to come together. Focus on humanizing the workplace. Now, when we think about what are some steps or some or some benefit or some perk that employers could implement, um, what are some of those things that you're seeing that really tie back to these other areas? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that's very, I think this is almost more important now than ever before, um, because employees now have somewhat of the power. Um, and so attracting and retaining talent is at the forefront of most people's minds. And um, not only attracting and retaining, but like the right kind of talent people that fit with your organization. Um, but they're vocal and they know what they want. Um, and so I think it's good to, to continue to say, okay, we do need these, some of these perks. I think there's going to be a lot of focus on family forming, um, you know, and that broaches different areas of, of well-being, physical, emotional, um, social, even. So um, looking at those benefits, how do we support um, new parents coming back to the workplace? Can we do um, mentorship? Can we do little bump boxes? Can we... Um, some companies I know are doing those rental bassinets. Those things are so expensive. You only need them for a few months. What can you do? Be creative and think about who is my population and what would be meaningful to them and making it easier to come back to work, whether you're coming back from a, maybe a childbirth or adoption or back to the office, return to work sort of style. Um, but how can we, what kinds of little things can we do? So I think the perks um, are gonna be anything that is fun, food always brings people together, um, but also and let's not overlook the impact of really good managers and training them. Um, and so that kind of takes us off perks, I know, but, um, People I think want... it's an important part, though, of this thing you're talking about. How do you humanize a workplace if you don't train your managers on how to do some of those things? Yeah, it's not, I don't think, a skill that people just are innately born with. And even if they are, it's good to continue to hone and learn and, and grow. Um, so I think those are important pieces. Yeah. And the other part that you, you know, have talked about, you know, in, in what you would style a family focused program is 
thinking about backup child care and mm-hmm. elder care because so many people have brought, you know, their their loved ones home and not to be in a, you know, in a facility at least for mm-hmm. a period of time and maybe help navigating that. Um, I would say some organizations did that before, but the need has drastically changed. Absolutely. Um, and what are, what are your thoughts around reward and recognition programs? Um, I think it's great. I think it also needs to feel authentic and genuine. And again, I know it's difficult because there's not a one size fits all. And um, you want to just have a magic pill or a magic blueprint, but you really got to figure out what's going to jive with your people. And um And building a foundation of trust is crucial for almost anything. Um, So help on working on that too, as as we sort of move through some of these things that you want to add or um, implement. But assuming you have that trust built in, yes, I think anytime you can um, do peer-to-peer recognition, any recognition that comes... um, there are platforms that do it right. Um, anytime you, you can do Starbucks cards or whatever. I think it's really important people and just sending an email saying, thank you. People want to be thanked. People are working really hard. They want to be thanked. They want to know that their work is meaningful and that it's appreciated. Um, and so I, the only thing I would say around that is also managers Get to know your team, know how they want to be appreciated and thanked. They may not want to be called out at a 400 person department meeting that may not feel good for them. So just get to know your people and know what would be appropriate and and, um, received well by them and how they would like to be recognized. Yeah. Well, as, as Julie mentioned at the beginning of this, there is no one size fits all. And part of the beauty of the work that she and her team do is spending time with the consulting team to get to know an organization and get to know a client, the data, the the culture, the philosophy, so that we can align some recommendations around what we think actually would be some good fit. Um, So if your organization is thinking about change, if you're thinking and just wondering, are we doing what we can? Um, Are we putting this in the right places? Those are all some great questions that we can talk about and, and, you know, filter through, kind of talk those pros and cons. And if you'd like to have those conversations, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to engage with how can we, how can we help you as an organization use these dollars that you have for your people and use them in places where, you know, not only the return from a cost containment standpoint, but also as how do your people feel? Then let's talk about that. I, Julie, I appreciate your time and um, I always love your perspective on people and I can always see the, the genuine care and concern that you have for people as you talk through these things. So thank you, thank you for sharing that uh, with us this morning. And 
you know, to anyone listening, you can follow this podcast on any platform where you listen to your podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spotify, you can follow the video channel on YouTube as well. Um, Thank you for checking in with us today and take good care.